This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome, welcome to the show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh at Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering Bible questions and life questions and anything else that's on your heart. The only missing ingredient is your phone call. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585 if you're outside the local San Antonio area. You can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And if you are in your car, it just started raining really hard here, so if you're in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. Everything else is hands-free. And you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Well, Tuesdays, we have nothing to announce, so let's get right to the questions. The first one comes from Caleb, and he wants to know, is oneness theology really Christian? Uh, Caleb, it is not. Now, I need to 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 be careful uh, not to be misunderstood. There, there are a lot of people in oneness churches that... Um, are Christians. They they don't know what they believe. They hear Jesus Christ. They believe in Jesus, but they're not really digging in to find out what the doctrine, uh, doctrinal positions of the church really is. But oneness theology is simply that which says Jesus is the Father, Jesus is the Son, and Jesus is the Holy Spirit. And what disqualifies something from being Christian is when they mess around with the the nature, the character. Uh, of God. And oneness theology does that in spades. Usually, Caleb, uh, oneness churches are wildly Pentecostal. Um, They um, uh, baptize in the name of Jesus only, but uh, it it is not doctrinally Christian. Now, I want to emphasize there are Christians in there. You know, having perfect doctrine is not a requirement to being uh, in heaven. However, there's just a lot of, of uh, uh, really bad doctrine and Christians that don't dig into the Word and find out what's true. And you just can't mess with the person of Jesus Christ. You cannot mess with uh, the Trinity. Um, you know, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one God manifest in three persons. That's clear biblical teaching. And the um, 
oneness theologians, oneness so-called Christians, simply uh, refuse to accept that. You know, um, Caleb, uh, there's always a lot of difficult questions about, is this okay? Is that okay? What if you believe this? What if you believe that? And, and um, you know, the truth, as I said a moment ago, is that people just don't really know what their churches believe, and they are um, misled. Uh, T.D. Jakes, uh, I think if you asked most Christians, if if he was a Christian pastor, he would they would say yes. He's a oneness Pentecostal. Um, that's his history. That's his track record. Uh, and and it's just I think bad doctrinally, and Christians ought not to be in those churches. So it is not Christian theology at all. Uh, however, as I said, there are Christians who are there. Here is a question that I'm still laughing at. When I was going over with the producer just before the program, I thought, I hope Anthony doesn't come to our church. Uh, Anthony says, Pastor Ron, compared to pastors that I hear online, my pastor is pretty boring. Can I show him some of the people I've been listening to? My producer was laughing, saying, if tomorrow somebody shows up at church and hands you some of the, a list of the people he's been listening to, you'll know who it is. So, Anthony, I hope you don't call Calvary Chapel your home. I'm boring. I realize that. But at the same time, um, uh, this is just something that we have to live with. You know, it used to be that in order to uh, listen to a, a famous, well-known pastor— you had to have a radio program or or uh, you had to be there somewhere and uh, visiting somewhere. But, but now with just a, in an instant, you can Google anybody and you can find uh, some of the best Bible teachers in the world. Um, and, and, and you can tune them in online and you can listen to everything that they say. Um, but that's not a pastor. And I've tried to communicate this over the years on this radio program. Uh, a pastor is somebody you can talk to. A pastor is somebody that is invested in you. Somebody who prays for you. Somebody you can go to and trust for counsel. Somebody whose heart has been demonstrated to you. That's what a pastor does. A pastor is someone who visits uh, when you're in the hospital or who is there to cry with you when you're going through tragedy. A pastor is not a face on a screen. And Anthony, the problem that we, we run into, and uh, something every pastor has to deal with now, is that you're always going to be held to a standard of these people that have these huge ministries and great big productions and great um, um, content, and um, but, but you don't know anything about them. And a lot of those people, Anthony, we later read about, uh, who have failed in their ministries or they've fallen into sin or they haven't been faithful to minister to the people that God has set before him. So, um, um, no, you can't show him some of the stuff that you've been listening to. Um, Pray for your pastor. Love him. Support him. And serve the vision that God has given him for your church. And it's still okay to watch people online for sure. But uh, just don't compare. There's there's no comparison. Your pastor, if he's faithful with what God has given him, he will have the same rewards as some of the more famous pastors, and, and in many cases, more reward than some of the famous pastors who had far larger ministries. So please, please, please um, be kind. Be blessed by the people that you're able to watch. 
Um, but don't be starstruck. Just the pastor's the guy who's there with you and for you every day. I hope that answers your question, Anthony. We have a Lee calling from San Antonio on line one. Lee, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor Ron. Good afternoon to you. Thank you, Lee. Yes, sir. I have a question in, uh, regarding, I had to hear from you. Um, I know that the Bible, there's scripture um, that, that covers the topic of lawsuits. Now, I had a situation occur. Um, I'm, I'm not ready for a lawsuit. I'm going to try to, in a nutshell, I'm going to try for an adjustment. But uh, my heart is troubled right now insofar as because I've had people say, let's go all the way. And I'm, my, my conscience and my, my thinking is, no, I don't. I want to seek. Uh, he'll uh, obviously remain unnamed. I had a situation involving a tooth. It's a long story, but I'll, I'll put it in a nutshell. Um, I had a, a good filling removed, and he wanted to put in a, the new type of filling. He went up too deep. It took seven to eight months for this tooth to cure, for the pain to go away, literally from a filling. Oh. And after, after a year, it just, um, the tooth itself is, is um, it died. He had to pull it. And um, I'm certain, almost 100%, because the tooth was viable before. And now after the filling, it died. And it killed the nerve. It killed the blood flow. So um, I'm just curious as to what the Bible specifically says about these type of things, because I know that it says individuals themselves can be taken and be sued. You know, if you try to sue, you can get sued. And um, I think I'm going to ask him for an adjustment. I don't believe I'm going to go any farther than that. It's just uh, an unusual situation. I know it had um, some biblical um, air to it, some biblical um, um, mention in the Bible or some scripture revolving around. Yeah, it does. Lee, let me, let me, uh, I hope I can relieve your, your, your burden. Um, um, you know, my, I just cringe when I hear about tooth pain. I I mean, I absolutely cringe when I hear about it. So my heart is going out to, uh, but Paul in writing to the church at Corinth, he talks about Christians in Corinth taking other Christians. It's first Corinthians chapter six. Um, Christians taking other Christians to court before unbelievers in the city of Corinth. They had a judgment seat and, and, uh, the, the, they were usually occupied. The judges were usually unbelievers. And so he's talking about the division in the church and the, 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 the carnality, the flesh of, of, uh, of the Christians in Corinth. And and so what he says is, look, don't take another believer before an unbeliever. Don't sue somebody um, uh, before an unbeliever. You're compromising your witness. He said it's better to be wronged in the matter. Now, that doesn't say anything at all about using the court system that is available to us to take somebody to, to court. If, if you have been the victim of malpractice, and that's what this sounds like, um, then there's nothing that, that is is contradicting the Bible, if you um, um, sue them or if you ask for an adjustment um, because of the pain that you've suffered, because of the damage to the tooth, I assume that you probably paid for uh, the work that was done and you didn't get your money's worth. There's nothing uh, unbiblical. There's nothing unchristlike about uh, uh, recovering your money 
and or asking uh, for payment so that if you need to get it fixed properly, that you won't be out of pocket again. You paid good money expecting uh, a service in return, and it is perfectly okay for you to expect that. You know, it doesn't mean that we who are Christians should sit back and let people take advantage of us or fleece us. It just says in Corinth, and this is the only reference to it at all in Scripture, um, don't sue an unbeliever. I mean, don't sue another believer in front of an unbeliever. If you take them to court that way, then you're compromising your witness and you're reflecting poorly on the name of Christ. And that's why Paul says it would be better to be wrong than to bring that kind of disgrace on the Lord. But Lee, you have every right uh, to uh, for, for redress. Uh, there's nothing wrong with using the legal system. Uh, as you go through it, be sure that you are uh, praying for the person or the people that you are are going to court against and make sure that you're behaving in a godly manner. And there's absolutely nothing at all wrong with you seeking redress uh, for an issue like this. Does that comfort you a little bit? It does, especially in light of a partial costing just under $1,000 in, in, in those yeah. implants into the thousands in the because uh, it's affected my chewing and um, oh. it, it you once again you you've put me at rest and you've made decisions a lot easier um, hearing the word uh, from a man of God yes thank you thank, thank you Lee and they and and they have insurance for stuff like this too so you're not going to cause uh, yeah. willful harm against against the dentist they, they sometimes people mess up. And and we want to give them the benefit of the doubt that it was uh, honest, but but at the same time, uh, you are entitled to um, recovery. Okay, thank you, Lee. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh-huh. Appreciate it very very much. Let's go to our old friend Ruben from Seguin on line two. Ruben, good to hear from you. We've been worried about you. Welcome to the program. <laughs> God bless you, Pastor Ron. I I appreciate uh, those words. Um, you know I've. I've been going through a time, a season that I just, you know, I, I can't understand. Uh, Dad's in a nursing home. He had a he had a stroke, and he can't walk. And um, I had another X-ray a couple of weeks ago, and they found another anomaly in my stomach, which oh, means they're gonna have to operate me again. So I'm just like, oh man, God. It's not like I'm questioning him. I'm just, what well, I guess I am. I was like, Lord, what's going on? So the reason I called is, number one, is I want to thank you for thinking about me. And I know that, that, that you and everyone that's listening is praying for me, and I want to, I appreciate that. And I, I, I want to ask from the bottom of my heart to continue to pray for him because I am... I am like low on energy, if that makes sense, like spiritual sure energy. Okay, because of everything I've been going through. Now, you know, I've been getting some people who've been trying to help me, but you know, they come from the legalistic, you know, belief, and you know that I no longer believe that. Thanks to you and the Spirit of God and God Himself opening my eyes through you and Mama Paula. Okay, so the question is this. I have two scriptures that, that, that I've been reading over and over, and, and they've, you know, I've been holding as a promise, but I don't know if I'm doing wrong by holding on to the type of promise that I think it is. Two scriptures. The first one is, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness. And if I'm not mistaken, it says, Then all of these things shall be added unto you. 
And then the second one is, um, for the Lord has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. Now, my questions are this. In the first scripture, exactly what does all these things shall be added? People tell me comfort, uh, love, joy, financial, you know, blessings, stuff like that. That's what they tell me. Now, the second one, the second scripture where it says, uh, he has not given me a spirit of fear, but power. What exactly does that word power? What does it cover? What is exactly, what exactly does it mean? If you could break those two down for me, it would really, really help me. You know, I've been searching, I've been searching, reading the Bible and trying to get these Hebrew to Greek books and trying to understand, but I, I just don't. I, I really don't. I just don't have the mind to comprehend it. I don't know if it's because of everything I'm going on or whatever. And then I'm worshiping through music and everything. Since I'm a worship leader, I play my piano and I do that. So with that said, I'm going to stay on the line. Can you break down those two scriptures as I asked? Yeah, I can, Ruben. Thank you very, very much. The first one that you asked about is in the Sermon on the Mount. And um, remember that, that, that God is 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 dealing with us uh, from the perspective of, of uh, if you want to get to heaven without Jesus, this is how good you have to be. And when he gets to the end of chapter 6, where the seek ye first uh, the kingdom of God and his righteousness passage is, um, he, he's sort of, he, he's dealing with issues that are coming up. And in this, in the context, he's talking about um, people that worry. We're worrying about the things of this world. We're worrying about clothing. We're worried uh, about uh, how long we're going to live. Um, and, and Jesus' example, he says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow nor reap. Um, and yet the Father feeds them, takes care of them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And he keeps on talking about this. And so after those warnings, he says, going down to verse 31 in that passage, he says, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And here's the contrast, and this is all it is. The contrast is, unlike the pagans who worry about all those things, who chase all those things, our responsibility as believers is to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things. Those are the things to eat. Those are the things to wear, uh, the things uh, to drink, uh, the, 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 the answers to all we're worrying about. Uh, if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, we're, we're following Jesus, we're, we're living a righteous life in his power, then God is the one who's going to take care of all those other things and they will be given to us. So the contrast in the context here is really important. Uh, instead of worrying about all this worldly stuff, seek God and let him take care of the all of the thing, all the other things. And then he actually closes that chapter by saying, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day is enough trouble of its own. And that's just Jesus telling the people back then that the one thing that we've got to, to, to understand is... Um, um, God's the one who will take care of the things that we need. Our job is to look after him, to chase after him, and he will add 
all the other things. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to worry, but, but what it means is that the worry needs to be handed over to the Lord for that. Uh, the other one is Second Timothy. Um, in Second Timothy chapter 1, now we need to remember that Paul is writing this. This is the last letter that Paul wrote. Uh, the most personal of all of it. He says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and of self-control. The power there is supernatural power from heaven. That's dunamis. It's it's the power to live this life in a way that, that um, uh, overrides our fears, our worries, the things that this world can do to us. And so when when we're told that we're given the spirit of power, that's the Holy Spirit lives in us, and that's the power to walk in the supernatural. Now, let me bring this home to you, Reuben, because this is really important. When you're going through things, and you said uh, regarding your physical ailments, you said, I'm not really questioning God, and then you got on and said, well, I guess I am. Um, uh, you said, what's going on? Nothing has to be going on. There's nothing, God's not trying to make a point with you with with this illness or potential surgery or whatever it is that you're facing. Um, Stuff happens. That's all that he's saying. Stuff happens. And God has given you the power to deal with it. Remember when the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 was asking for God to remove the thorn in the flesh. Three times he begged him. Three times the Lord said no. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. Well, you've already experienced this, Reuben. You've been through so much already that you have learned that God's grace is sufficient. And so putting both of those passages together, they may, may be being misused by people who are bringing them to you. But but if you understand them correctly, by putting those passages together, then you needn't worry. You needn't fret over why these things are happening. Uh, your position doesn't change. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and God will take care of all of the other things. And then that spirit of power that he's given you, that that, that dunamis in the Greek, it's super, supernatural power of God, that is available to you to help you endure anything and everything that you're going to have to go through. So that's that's the way to view those passages. Uh, a lot of times uh, the, the churches, some of them that you've been involved in the past, Reuben, um, you know, when they think all these other things will be added, oh, okay, well, well, I'm going to follow Jesus. He'll give me money. He'll give me... No, that's not the context. It's just contrasting the way pagans respond to troubles in this world and the way that Christians should respond to troubles in this world. And And we do it by relying on Jesus. So, Reuben, thank you for that, and it's really, really good to hear from you. I appreciate it very, very much. 340-9585, we're actually inside three minutes now for uh, the program today. Um, here is a question from Daryl. Uh, he says, can you tell me about the Passion Translation of the Bible? Uh, Daryl, I can. I don't have one. Um, but I can tell you it is um, the worst excuse for translation imaginable. Uh, it is a new translation. The general editor, and his name escapes me for a moment. Uh, I'll think of it probably, but but the he, he he passes this off as new revelation from God. And the Passion Translation is awful, 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 
something that nobody wants to or nobody should be exposed to. So just forget it and uh, and find a good translation of the Bible. Um, Daryl, you can go to YouTube. There are some really good guys. Uh, one, one guy's name is Mike Winger, and he's done uh, an entire uh, study. There's a YouTube video about the Passion Translation uh, with with other critics of the translation, and they're very detailed, and they go... It, it's more than an hour long. Uh, they're very detailed, and they go into uh, the real problems with it, and they look at a lot of the verses and how they're translated, and it's just awful. Now, I've not listened to Mike's uh, uh, teaching on it, uh, but uh, it, it, there's nothing new. And we've got really great translations of the Bible that we can depend on. And anytime anybody says, his name is Brian Simmons, thank you. Um, and his claim is for a very unique and unusual origin for the translation. He says, Jesus Christ came into my room. He breathed on me and he commissioned me and he spoke to me and said, I'm commissioning you to translate the Bible into the translation project that I'm giving you to accomplish. That is horrible. Horrible, horrible, horrible. That's that's worse than Jesus calling. You remember we've had questions about about the devotion Jesus calling, and and uh, it's a lady who says that Jesus is giving the, her these callings, and and uh, and he's sort of overriding his word. Well, in this particular case, this is supposed to be his word, and it's misrepresenting him. So stay away from it. It ought to have skull and crossbones on it. Thank you, Daryl. We'd love your calls and questions. We've got 30 minutes left in the Tuesday show, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Tuesday show, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Be careful out there. If it's raining, it just started pouring here and sounds even like hail outside. So if you hear something in the background, that's it. Just be careful on the roads. Here is a question that came to our email inbox from Melissa. She says, is it wrong of a dying Christian woman to say that her focus is more on meeting Jesus than on dwelling or rejoicing or even thinking what heaven is going to be like? Melissa Jesus is heaven. That should, that should be, this, this woman, it should be your only focus. So she's got it absolutely right. So it's not about heaven. Jesus is heaven. There's no heaven without Jesus being there. And Jesus is our role, our, our, our purpose for, for living. Uh, he is what we look forward to. Uh, Peter says seeing him is the is the goal of our salvation. So this woman is going to die with in peace. She's going to die with great joy. Um, but, but it's not about heaven. You know, we think of heaven as a place where everything is going to be perfect. But, but believe me, Jesus will be the focus. You know, I think the, the, the pictures that we have, the Bible, streets of gold, 
uh, for example, whether that's figurative or literal, and and there's no real way of knowing. Uh, I think the idea there is that what we think of as the most valuable thing here on earth is just like asphalt in heaven. So it's not uh, heaven and and uh, the, the the magnificent mansions that that people misunderstand and interpret incorrectly. Heaven is Jesus. And when she looks into those eyes and she hears that voice call her name, Melissa, she is going to realize the fullness of what God always wanted for her. So this is a woman whose focus is uh, exactly in the right place. And and all the other things that we think of as material or you know, no more pain, any of those things. Those are all benefits of being with Jesus in heaven. But believe me, she's the one who gets it. And that's the way we all first ought to live our lives. But then, you know, except for the rapture of the church, the human ratio to death is one to one. We're all going to die. And when we experience difficult things, Jesus is our focus through the suffering, but also he's the reward when the suffering is done. Melissa, uh, I don't have anybody holding on the phone, so let me take a minute with this. When when Pastor Chuck died, um, um, he's been gone now for some time, but he had this deep, rich baritone vase, uh, voice, and he was uh, uh, in his hospital room, and uh, time was really, really short, and uh, he could hardly speak. He could hardly do anything. And and the people that were with him in the room at that moment, he, they, he, he, they, they heard him say, he, he went with, with the clearest voice. He said, all right. And we've heard Chuck say that hundreds of times, we who've been around him for a long time. And uh, it was at that moment that the angel that was sent to take him to heaven came into his room. And said, it's time to go. He said, all right. And his focus was just Jesus. You know, as a pastor, I, I'm, I have the privilege, and I don't mean to sound morose here, but, but I've had the privilege of being uh, with people as they die or, or just before they die. And they're waiting for that moment. And I, I love being there. And I read the, the description of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. And and uh, you can see the burdens lift away. And they're waiting for that moment when their name is called. The angel takes the real them out of that old, tired body and takes them in the presence of Jesus. And in that instant before, they're realizing that which is beyond their ability to dream. So this is a woman, Melissa, who's got it figured out. And she's um, she could teach a lot of us about a lot of things. Thank you for, for that. That was an encouragement. I'm going through something difficult right now with some a dear, dear friend and brother in the Lord, an elder in the church. Uh, he's been stricken so quickly, and, and uh, it just seems impossible. And um, that woman's testimony, Melissa, encouraged me uh, because I know my friend is focused on Jesus. Here's a question from Miguel. He says, I'm really struggling with turning the other cheek. What did Jesus mean when he said that and how far we should go to be obedient? Miguel, again, this is the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is giving us a standard of living. 
Um, remember, he's speaking to Jews who thought they were God's people because they had the law. And Jesus is simply saying in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, the law is not enough. The letter of the law, you have to go beyond that to the spirit of the law. And, and then just in case there are people who think, well, I can do that, he makes it impossible by saying things like this. Um, turn the other cheek. When somebody takes a cloak, give him, give him your, your turban also. So um, we all struggle with turning the other cheek. Our, our flesh doesn't want to do that. But Jesus gave us a picture, an example to follow, Miguel, because he did exactly that. When he said, turn the other cheek, that's what he did. Isaiah chapter 50 says that he gave his cheeks to those who pulled out his beard. He gave his back to those who ripped it open. He gave his face to those who spat upon him. And he did that. So Jesus is basically saying, if you want to get to heaven without me, you've got to be as good as I am. You've got to be who I am. And so he, he doesn't mean you let somebody come up and hit you and, and you say, well, that's great. Hit me with the other cheek. I'll give him the other cheek to do it as well. Um, he's just saying that we, we need to, to um, trust in him as he trusted in his father during that difficult time. And remember, Jesus did it first. So we always need to be aware that bringing him honor and glory is the only thing that matters. Again, he doesn't mean for somebody to hit you in one side of your face, you give him the other side and tell him, take your best shot. That's not what he means at all. All he's saying is this is the standard of living that will get us to heaven, period, apart from believing in me. And you know that the Sermon on the Mount has caused people so much pain because they think, well, I can't possibly live up to that standard. Well, that's why Jesus did it for us. So, Miguel, thanks for the question. Let's go to line one and talk with Jeff from San Antonio. Jeff, thanks for calling. You are on the air. Thank you, Pastor Ron, for taking my call. I was calling in regards to the video that you showed at, on Sunday from the mm-hmm. from the pastor up in Maine. And, mm-hmm. and he had mentioned about, wanting, I'm assuming this went across the country, uh, but he had wanted people to fast and pray. Uh, for the Supreme Court decision to sway our way. My question is, what does fasting have to do with this, and why fast? (laughs) Oh, Jeff, you're going to get me in trouble here. I agree with you. Uh, I have not been fasting, but I've been praying. Um, For the audience, uh, we showed a three-minute video uh, from a dear friend of mine, Pastor Ken Graves in Bangor, Maine, Calvary Chapel in Bangor, Maine. Uh, we've had Ken in church here, and uh, he has been a uh, a dear friend and a faithful brother for a very, very long time. Um, he, he, but just coincidentally, he's got the best voice ever. But um, um, he's asking for Christians to join him in prayer and fasting. Now, the purpose of fasting from his perspective is biblical in the Old Testament. When people really were seeking God, they would fast. You know, it was a sign of repentance. It was a sign of, 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 um, of grief and sorrow. Um, but but I, I think in our church culture, Jeff, we really misunderstand uh, what fasting is all about. And the idea here 
It's being communicated that, well, if we fast, if we deny ourselves food, God's going to answer our prayers. I don't think that's necessary. I think all we have to do as Christians who are in right standing with God, uh, and we all are if we're born-again believers, and if we have sinned and we repent of that sin, ask forgiveness, then we're in right standing with God. Uh, I think what we can do is uh, pray for the wisdom that God would give the Supreme Court. We could pray that uh, Pastor Ken's church uh, would would find favor with the Supreme Court. Uh, and, and we think, um, and, and I say we collectively, I agree with this, that this is one of the more important um, Supreme Court decisions, even their, 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 the choice they made to hear this case, is overwhelming. And the idea is, here's the background, Pastor Ken uh, was uh, threatened with jail. He was His church was fined uh, because after the initial time of the pandemic, they started meeting again, and the governor um, virtually put all the churches in Maine uh, out of business. Um, the, Maine probably was the most radical action taken against churches in, in the whole United States, and there was a lot of states who were doing that. Um, and uh, uh, Ken sued the governor personally on behalf of Calvary Chapel uh, Banger. And uh, um, the, the suit was, was thrown out. He appealed it. It was thrown out again. And the Supreme Court saw that as an opportunity to deal with this issue about state or local municipality control over uh, religious institutions. Um, we have a God-given right and a constitution, constitutionally guaranteed protected right to assemble together as a church. They shall make no law concerning religion. And yet they've done that in all over the country. Well, what's happened is that in the, the lower courts um, in most states have been um, restoring the rights of Christians to meet, the right, uh, really, of all religious people to, to meet in their churches, uh, pandemic or no. Well, in Maine, the lower appeals courts um, dismissed the lawsuit of Calvary Chapel, Bangor, Maine, and the, the Supreme Court saw that and saw this as an opportunity to right a wrong and set a precedent that would then blanket all of the states in the country um, from here on out. To set a precedent would say you can never interfere with the right of churches to meet. And um, on a selfish note, Pastor Ken's church would be um, the, all the fines that did accumulate would be eliminated. The, the the continuing threat of more legal action would be eliminated. Um, the the bigger thing that we're hoping for is that they will simply say, um, trying to keep churches from meeting is unconstitutional, period. End of statement. And we would never again enter into a situation like we've had in many places for all these years. So um, May the 13th is the day that the Supreme Court is going to hear the case. And we're very hopeful they picked it. We have a conservative majority uh, in the, the Supreme Court right now. And it really does appear as though um, they're going to, at the very least, um, overturn the lower appeals court rulings. Um, 
and we're hopeful that they will just take this opportunity to make a once-for-all-forever decision about what it is. So, Jeff, that's uh, that's what they meant. Fasting and praying, um, uh, I'm just one of those who don't doesn't believe that we have to, to plead with God by denying ourselves food in order to get him to answer prayers. I think if we're, we're right with him, then we're going to be fine. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate it very, very much. And please, everybody, be praying. May the 13th is a date, and I'll give you some updates as we heard. I don't know how long it takes for the Supreme Court to issue a... Uh, I mean, this is an expedited appeal. Um, so I don't know how long it will take uh, but uh, the case goes before the church, or before the court, on May 13th. Thank you very, very much, Jeff. Here is a question. Ten minutes. Hmm. Time goes fast when I talk a lot. Iris says, uh, Pastor Ron, I know this is not an essential of our faith, but do you view the first chapters of Genesis as myth, allegory, or historical? Uh, Iris, I'm going to disagree with you because I believe with all of my heart this is an essential of our faith. Um, People who do not take the first 11 chapters of Genesis as historical, in other words, accurate and literal, uh, they have no faith to hold on to. Uh, I I said this to a, a question last week. If Adam and Eve are not the first two people, uh, whoever walked the face of this earth, then we have no faith. We don't have the fall of man. We don't have um, 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 an answer for sins. Uh, we, we don't have a God who tells us the truth. Jesus affirmed that Adam and Eve were the first two. In the beginning, uh, God created Adam and Eve, male and female. So if if we don't take the first 11 chapters of Genesis as historical, uh, I repeat, we have no faith at all. Now, the, the temptation is because of the, the volume, um, and by that I mean loud, I don't mean quantity, the volume, the loudness of those who claim science rejects the theory of creation. Um, I got to tell you, um, th- th- those are people that are calling Jesus a liar. Those are people who believe they know more than God. That ought to terrify them. And it's 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 quick to say, well, you know, that's just Jesus telling us a story. It's it's not really true. It's a myth, but it is an allegory. This represents this, and no, they're absolutely literal, and it is iris and essential of our faith. So never forget that if we view. Uh, Genesis, anything other than historical, then every major doctrine that we consider essential to the faith uh, of of uh, Christianity uh, falls apart, and it has no value. And obviously, that means that we're lost. There's no answer for our sins. We're lost. So um, I view it obviously as historical and literal. Um, I don't see any problem with that. First four words of our Bible are in the beginning God. And if you believe that, then it's easy to reject science. Logically, it's easy to reject the science that, that when I talk about rejecting science, talk about the science that contradicts the word. Um, it's science that begins with the, the bias that there is no God. 
And science is supposed to be the observable facts of creation in this case. Well, there was only one there to observe it. That was God. He gave us his word. And the scientists that say that the earth is billions of years old or, or multiplied billions of years old or that we, we had cavemen walking around or we started as as lower forms and evolved into something else, um, that that's simply saying God is a liar. His word is a liar. And if we take that position, we are on really, really treacherous ground. So... Iris, it is, from my view, an essential in every facet of the word. Here is an anonymous question that says, I go to church, I go to a church that emphasizes politics a lot. Since Trump lost, it seems that everyone is sad and empty. Is there a way to revive our church under Biden? I think, anonymous, the problem is that, that your church... Uh, doesn't know who it's under. Um, before the church was under Trump, and you said things were 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 by implication were really moving, and everybody was was happy and positive. Um, and now you want to revive the church under Biden. Um, Trump and Biden have nothing to do with the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He is the focus of our worship. And I think your question demonstrates why, at least in large part, the church has lost its power in the world. We've lost our ability to witness. Now, I'm a conservative guy, so please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. We who are Christians, many of us so revered Trump, we made him an idol. And when the idols come crashing down, there's nothing left but a mess. And the idol that has been set up in a lot of political churches and a lot of political lives of of Christians, those lives are now empty. You said sad and empty. Well, they're empty because their idol crashed. Remember when Dagon was was in with the the, uh, um, Ark of the Covenant? And they set Dagon up, and he fell down. They came, found him the next day, and he'd fallen down. They set him back up. They fell the next day, and his head and his hands all all were, were broken off. Uh, that's that's what happens when you make anything an idol. And um, you know, our church, uh, your church, um, needs to honor President Biden. Uh, you can disagree with him and honor him. You can pray for him and. And honor him. You can pray that he gets saved. He needs Jesus, but so did Trump. And we who are Christians lost so much credibility because we completely waxed over Trump's moral problems, his character problems, because he was our guy. And and to the rest of the world, it seemed like we were just the biggest hypocrites ever. And now we've got a new president and and people that are looking to politics or looking for political solutions, the only thing I can tell you is sad and empty. I've got two really good friends whose churches were way, way, way political. And in both cases, they have no message any longer. They stopped preaching Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead. So, you know, they, they put their trust in Trump and lost and now they're lost. And their churches, too, are sad and empty, just like yours. So 
forget reviving your church under a president or a political figure. Your, your church needs to turn back to Jesus and only Jesus because he is the only source of any potential revival. Here is another anonymous question. Um, uh, I'm a woman who struggles with pornography. Can you help me? Um, young, you're a woman. I'm going to tell you the same thing I would tell a man. Typically, we we view pornography as a male problem because of the accessibility of it. Uh, that is increasingly um, not the case. It is it is a problem as with the case with this woman. Um, it is a it is a problem that that uh, we all struggle with. Um, sexual sin, according to the Apostle Paul is sin that we commit against our own body, the temple of the Holy Spirit. We give the enemy a a huge foothold uh, to destroy us. Um, So I'll tell you what I tell men. You've got to make a decision that you're going to stop. You've got to get your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. You've got to get your mind off the things that satisfy the flesh. And you've got to get your mind and your heart, the mind the place of decision, the heart the place of affection, on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. What you need is an entire transformation or even better, a transfusion of thinking. Paul says in Romans chapter 12 that we need to be renewed in our thinking, made new our thinking. The only way we do that is by the washing with the water of the word. So you've got to make a decision that you love Jesus more than you love your lust. Pornography does something to our brain. And the enemy is always involved. And the only way to counterbalance that is to replace that struggle with Jesus. So when you're tempted, pick up your Bible. Begin to pray. Take a walk with Jesus. But you've simply got to repent of your sin. I'm glad you're struggling with it. But but God wants you to beat it. First Corinthians chapter ten verse thirteen says that uh, no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man or to woman. And God is faithful. It doesn't say that you're faithful. It says He's faithful. I'm going to be teaching this passage of Scripture this Sunday. He says that when you are tempted, He will provide a way out, so that you don't have to give in to the temptation. And you've got to believe that, but then you've got to fight. You've got to understand that this is a fight for your soul. This is a fight for fruitfulness to come back into your life. And you've got to be with Jesus. So when you're tempted with pornography, talk to the Lord. If you're really aware that he's there with you, then you won't do the things that you would do when he's not there. And this is a battle you can win. You have to believe that. But it's a battle you have to fight to win. It's not just something that's going to go away. You've given the devil a a huge opening. And he's going to try to use it to destroy you. Fight back and trust in the Lord. He'll deliver you from it. Because he already has. Hey, thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to the Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. 
The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Calvary.